0: Hey up, and welcome to the Temple of Blair episode, Unknown. I don't know when this one's going out, so I don't know where it slots into the whole uh, the whole scheme of things. This is a conversation with Ben Carter, who plays drums for Evil. Evil, uh, to me, they're a local thrash band. Uh, they've been around since about 2004, so I've been batting their corner for a number of years at this point. So I'm really biased when I say they've got an album coming out on April the 30th, and it is shit hot album is called hell unleashed it's their first in eight years i believe so we go into a bit of the history of the band since the last record score from 2013 so basically crack on check out eval check out the pre-order stuff watch out for april the 30th when hell Unleashed comes out and keep your eye on twitch because uh old drake who is the guitarist for eval Proper virtuoso in the thrash sense. He's very active on Twitch. I know Ben's going to make his way on there over the next few months. So that's kind of the best place you can check the latest and greatest from Evile. And let's get into it. One, two, fuck shit up. You alright, man? Yeah, I'm surviving, mate. Yourself? Yeah, exactly the same. Just.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the uh, fucking boring, now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the last time I saw you were two years ago, what last week when you were playing um what Brig House Cricket Club with your dad?
1: Yeah, it was, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, how fucking mad is that? Oh
1: yeah, were I doing it with your dad, or was I doing it with another covers band or another
0: tribute band or something? I can I don't know. I remember walking in, seeing your kit, and thinking, oh, Ben Solder's kit. Bad times, bad times, and then I saw you. I was like, "Oh, yeah. that's the Evaldromos Drummers playing Dakota." Fucking hell!
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was um, that, that thing there. It's like you, you've got to get any gig you can, have not you? You know what I mean? And sometimes those forty quids in your back pocket kind of make all the difference when they when they add up.
0: <laughs> right. Let's 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 jump straight into it, man. So, um, congrats on the new album, man. It sounds fucking. It, it's shit up. It's just. I mean. This won't go out until the sixteenth, but I can I can say that I've heard it, and because and, I've known Evil since it started in like two thousand four, I've got I'm biased, right? But I can say like objectively, it is the best sounding Evil album. Completely, it doesn't sound overproduced. It sounds raw and It kicks you in the fucking teeth. But I can hear the bass, like as as in like, I can hear the bass tone. I can hear exactly what Joel's doing, which yeah. is my kind of barometer. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to. I'm just want to unpack that in terms of. What was by design, and what was, um, what was the plan going in? And, I, and this all sort of like this all sort of comes about with like the last sort of three or four years. But let's just try and let's just walk into the studio together and let's talk about Chris. So, what was that approach um, all about then? So, we wanted something that sounded old school, but with a
1: modern production, which is what we've asked for really on the past three. Uh, there was only Enter the Grave where we wanted it to sound like proper retro thrash. And that's, that's where Fleming excelled, you know what I mean? That's where End of the Grave came into its own. That was our kind of stamp on the scene, if you would. Everything else came after it. We we were still trying to find that unique thing that made us sound like us. And it was it was a, a gradual progression. We got so close with Skull. And then this time around, working with Chris instead of Russ, um, I think it might have just been a new set of ears on the thing or... Mm whether we just thought got so much kind of pent up frustration and not doing anything for so long. And it was just a case of, we want it to sound old school, deathy, but we want it to sound so you can fucking hear everything. Death is such a good way of describing it it as well. it, it, It does. It crosses over into that realm of like, you know, obituary death rash in so many different ways, this new album, like early Sepultura stuff. It's got that kind of, it's got that kind of feel to it. It's got yeah. that, that visceral quality to it that if it was too clean, it wouldn't work. We needed it to sound a bit rough. But at the same time, you, it's 2021, so you're going to get criticism whichever side of the fence you decide to <laughs> on. You, know I mean? you can't please everyone. So in, in the end, we just wanted to please ourselves. Yeah. yeah. This is the album we've been wanting to make for so long. And now it's finally done and packaged up, ready to go in a couple of weeks.
0: It's, now that that horizon's finally Closer and closer. He's, he's exciting, man. He's excited. I've done my bit. I'm pre-ordering the one from Crash, the blue oh, one. Cool, yeah. I'm just, I'm thrilled to bits for you, man. I'm thrilled to fucking bits. But again, like, instead of like pumping this full of empty platitudes let's get get into the technical shit so wow how many days did it take to do the drums because you're an incredibly technical drummer in the sense of your timing live is the same as your timing on fucking in the studio there's like it's just precision fucking bullet time drumming
1: i I have to be in a way i mean i've I've never had a lesson in my life i'm totally self-taught so I, I struggle. I struggle to, to believe in myself. I struggle to feel like I'm relevant in, in the same sentences as like, you know, like Gene Hoagland or Sean Reinert to a certain, ex, you know, a certain extent. And, you know, all the other contemporary thrash drummers, like you've got your Paul Bostas and you've got like, you know, Charlie the and people like that who have lived and breathed thrash since the 80s, mm a stupid idiot out of Huddersfield trying to hold his head above water in and amongst those kind of people when you're in that kind of pond. I'm not going to lie, it's fucking daunting when you, you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't tend to rehearse as much purely because the, the, there isn't the space, there's never traditionally been the space for me to rehearse because of the size of my kits and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, It is daunting when an album cycle comes around because you think, shit, am I going to be able to perform at that level? And, Eight years later from last album, COVID hit, so everything was locked up. I broke my hand really bad, like, the end of 2019. I broke that to smithereens in five places. Shit. Um, so so drumming, for me, kind of took a back seat until I was fully healed and ready to go and all that. Stuff that hampers you makes you want to do it more. And you've combined, like, COVID, you've combined everyone being locked away, like me breaking my hand and being an idiot. I was really poorly before Christmas, so I was laid up for a little bit with that. Um and then obviously going into the studio and having this uh, this time to just let it all go and just get it all down. That for me was like really, really cathartic. I needed to get played and get it out of my head. So sorry, in answer to your question, I had um, we got about we got about three, four weeks notice about going in the studio. That's when the window of opportunity came up. Oh, cool. um, we, we really wanted to work with Russ again, but he was dismantling and rebuilding his studio down in Kettering, so that was that wasn't an option. There were a couple of other options presented to us, and we really wanted to work at Andy Sneep's studio. You know, Andy Sneep's a, a metal god. What the albums he hasn't done isn't aren't worth listening to. You know, it's like he's the he's the oracle as far as I'm concerned in terms of modern metal production. So we got to use his studio and Chris Clancy. Um, was the producer. So Han- Andy was kind of on hand to give his little sprinklings of magic and his little bits of direction here and there. Mm. But Chris-, Chris pulled it out of the bag like mad, as did we all in terms of performance. I had two weeks solid drumming, getting myself familiarized with my kit layout and I've tweaked a few things so I had to get comfortable. Um, playing along to backing tracks with a click track in one ear, the guitars in another, getting everything down and getting myself tight in that aspect. I, I went, well, I gave myself five days to record the album, drum-wise, and I did it in three, which is yeah. the, fastest I, it's the fastest I've ever done it. I wanted to do it in two, but there were some little mic placement hiccups and issues with drum heads and stuff like that that I maybe put the wrong choice on my kicks and stuff like that. But overall, three days, you know, and it was intense. You, you just you get in the zone, you just smash it out,
0: and then whatever else comes, you know? Just right. like you were saying, once you've sat down in the stool, all the catharsis kind of flowed out of you, so it makes sense that it all lined up
1: I honestly th- I honestly think when I'm behind a kit doesn't really matter what environment I think I'm a completely different beast to who I am when I'm in everyday life mm. it kind of lines up for me and everything feels really kind of normal it's like I'm supposed to be there whereas I get up in the morning and I can't even put my socks on properly I'm stumbling around and do you know what I mean nothing in real life makes sense to me apart from playing drums and it's, it's that ability to kind of be on in an instant in front of people or for a recording
0: Mm. i I think that's where i come into my own yeah man yeah Yeah. that's cool um let's get a timeline together let's do that because i'm i was when when we started this podcast me and me dave um day one (laughs) <laughs> we started the podcast and uh, i remember mean, we were sort of rolling up to do the first recording when this because it's just a shitty 57 and it was on like a little mic stand and stuff like that um and it just been it just dropped that you've been signed to napalm and we were just like fuck yeah we're back on it's happening again and i was like right tenor they're playing bloodstock next year it's on and obviously. No just come to fruition so i was like totally fucking hyped especially when and then yeah the napalm got or was it no no it was spv got bought by napalm a few months later so the whole like because i've been doing like the research on the roadrunner stuff is like my my head in terms of the the scene in terms of the industry and what was laid out for everyone it just kind of imploded on itself and i was like this is so exciting (laughs) so let's let's take it from uh skull did i say skull yeah, yeah, Skull. Yeah. It so, but it slowed down a bit.
1: So yeah, he, he, Skull didn't get the push I feel it deserved. At the time, Skull was like the pinnacle of anything Evil had ever done. The songs were amazing, the sound was great, and it was the strongest album we ever did for Earache. And for whatever reason, I don't know whether Earache knew they were going to drop us or stuff wasn't going right for them, I don't know. Um, but, but it didn't. It didn't achieve what it should have done, and it always kind of disheartened me a little bit that we tried so hard to create something really special for people, and it didn't get a push. Mm. So the opportunities to gig it and tour it also didn't get the push. You know, like we weren't as accessible around Europe to do the tours, and it just it just fell flat. And we were really, really like bummed out by it. You know, it was one of those things where you you put all your effort into something and don't see the fruits of your labour it's like well what now what do we do the four, four album deal had finished with earache mm-hmm. the big tours and stuff around europe had dried up for us for us a little bit and i think the natural thing to do was just take a step back and it wasn't by choice it just kind of happened real life happened to everyone um you know and everyone kind of grew up a bit had kids real life stuff and uh yeah, well, I mean, we were still active. We we still tried to stay active, but I think we were more active in a rehearsal room than we were in public. You know, mm. tried to keep ourselves tight just for the what ifs. What if we do get this? So we got Piers on lead guitar, who was a fantastic guitarist. He did everything that we needed him to do until he kind of realised that the gigs weren't there and the outlook for him as a gigging active musician wasn't there. Mm. So so that kind of went south with Piers, and we were just kind of stagnating and doing nothing and. You can't do that in music. You've always got to be seen to be doing something else. And mm. But anyway, whether it was forced or whether it was chosen or God knows what happened, that hiatus kind of went on. Matt was writing some tracks for the new album and all came back to the fold. And there, I don't know whether it was a bit of a disagreement there or whether it was just musical stylings and clashings of which road you want to go down. Matt was always a really, really deep thinker in terms of lyrics and content, whereas all of what knew we needed to get back out and do a proper thrash album. So that's what we chose to do. Matt's health got in the way, unfortunately. He wasn't too good. Um, his family was growing. He needed to step in the band to look after his family and his his own health, um, which is the most important thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? People think that. It was it was our choice to force him out of the band. That wasn't a thing at all. Matt chose to step away because he wanted to value the time at home with his family. He couldn't justify being away from them and being on the road, you know, and then having like an hour's fun, an hour and a half's fun on stage. That, you know, the time away didn't justify that anymore for him. So, yeah, we had to kind of find a way of keeping the band going, keeping it familiar and getting this album done. So the past couple of years is where it all kind of snowballed back up to speed, and here we are now with a new album ready to go. But it was a bit, it was a bit ambiguous for a while. We didn't really know what was going
0: on. It's kind of, it, it's kind of cool though that it's, the space to grow up is like because I'm 31 now, so I've made that. I feel like I've made that transition now. When you have yeah. the time to step back and sort of take a bigger look, a big top-down view of everything, yeah, it you start picking lanes oh yeah don't you? you know I'm what right. i mean <laughs> whereas before where you're like fuck it just go 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 now you're right well i'm more optimized if i fuck off these three things and yeah. if i you know i can i can sort of slow down on this speed up on that and it, it for me is that kind of transition has been really valuable obviously for a touring metal band it's a different it's a different beast so i totally get it
1: oh yeah of course i mean i don't have kids, I don't have kids but I've, I've kind of i'm from a family where Music is, is the first and foremost thing. It's all I really know how to do, you know. Like I just go, I can't even put my pants on in the morning without cocking it up. So like music is my thing. And I get that it can be someone else's, but when you have a family and your priorities shift in that direction and you you properly grown up, I don't think I'm grown up yet. That's that's my problem. I'm still a kid trapped in an adult's body, so I still see the Music industry and gigs and everything on a pedestal as, like, oh, you know, I've got a gig, I've got to do it. Nothing yeah. the same for other people, I don't think. Whereas I couldn't survive without it. Yeah. Yeah. Drop dead on a
0: drum stool, that's job done for me. <laughs> I get it, man. But I mean, like when I had my first uh, the, the transition, the sort of cognitive transition was every second was all of a sudden accounted for and was assigned a job. And that's kind of like the weird sort of shift that things take. Anyway, so in that in that that period, are you sending so I think if I recall correctly, all, all of my mentioned on his streams, um he tracked the album kind of like on a demo. He just threw something together on Multitracker and I guess that's what he sent around and it was Napalm that picked it up.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, were, there was a couple of discussions with other labels and everything, but I think Napalm made us feel like really at home and really comfortable. They were really positive. Even when we told them straight out, Matt's left the band. He doesn't want to be in Evil anymore. He's got other priorities, um, but we're going to sort it. Even amidst all that ambiguity and fuckery, they were still really positive. They were like, yeah, we don't care. We want you on our label. We've been waiting for you for a long time. Um, come to us when you're ready. And that's what we did. They loved everything we heard demo-wise. And um, yeah, they, they they snapped us up. But they were they were one of the labels that we always wanted to work with anyway. So it makes perfect sense. And if you look at the growth they've given other bands that have come from a similar kind of scenario as us, you know, they've got like bands like Ginger and stuff like that. What they've done for those kind of bands is is exemplary, you know. They've, they've skyrocketed. If they can do that for us and get us to so many more people, and still
0: keep it a friendly level of support and interaction and all that kind of stuff, then it's it's a win win, isn't it? I can't get rid of you. Since you signed to Napalm, I've not been able to get fucking of you on my, <laughs> my feeds and <laughs> things like that. No, that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. A lot of people online have said
1: that, and you know, if we're in if we're in the if we're in everyone's brains and we're living there rent
0: free for a little bit. That's a good thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, uh, where was I was going to go with this. The thing I, I, I'm so intrigued by, like, even though the new Matt was um, was leaving the band, that they were still going for it. It kind of didn't surprise me because, like, the appeal of Evil in terms of what you guys put out, it, it's, yeah, Boston Wall thrash. And there's, like, there's a niche in it being UK thrash. There's a niche in it being sort of, like, Northern Young Lads, blah, 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 blah. But also the virtuosity that comes from its members, like, is... It's kind of unparalleled. I mean, one thing I'd like to see on, not not to patronize him while talking to his drummer, but one thing I should see on all streams is like Herman Lee levels of engagement of in the community, because he is a virtuoso, right? He yeah. does what Herman Lee does, but on a different part of the spectrum. So I'm yeah. surprised I'm not seeing things like uh, interviews with Carillion um, guitars that the... the, the, the you know, fucking about the bridges and the technical stuff, but obviously there's an album cycle, but um I can see that being part of the engagement level. I can see that being part of the main drive going forward, just because that seems to be the nature of the beast these days, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, that online presence is something that Alls absolutely taken under his wing and ran with. He he's, he excels in that environment. He, he used to be so shy and reserved and, it demonstrates how easily he can go from being the lead guitarist to fronting it in the blink of an eye. He's more than capable, and he's a he's, he's a celebrity personality in himself. He he exudes that level of confidence now, and like you said, that virtuosic ability he's got. It, it's a perfect platform, and he is equally as good as those people who you've mentioned, like Herman Lee and. You know, other other like popular thrash guitarists You know, he's he's well up there. He's always been our secret weapon. I've always said it. Yeah, I think, I think in the same vein with, with Matt's departure, like going back to Matt leaving the band and stuff. I, I've always said that Matt was our James Hetfield. His ability to sing how he sang and play guitar the way he played at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that set him apart like mad. So the only competent person who could have stepped into front of the band is all. Yeah, he's there yeah. in its conception. He's there now. Fans can relate to him. So then, obviously, bringing Adam in from Riptide—that was
0: the next logical step. Yeah, I mean, we should we should do another chat in six months and reflect on this because I think at the minute, as certain platforms are emerging and the albums coming out, it's there's certain bits where it's like this is an open fucking goal. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: definitely. let's talk about the album itself then. Um, okay. the spoiler for everyone. So. So was everything written by all this time, or was this like a collaborative effort that was just sat on for, for long enough?
1: Um, I think there was some collaborations with uh, all and Matt. Still, uh, Matt's definitely got a couple of writing credits on the album, just for, just key riffs and stuff like that here and there. Uh, definitely, I got involved lyrically. I've contributed lyrics for a few tracks. Um, we we always band the idea around. It's a democracy, you know. It always has been democracy, and if people don't necessarily like certain sections, we'll argue it as to why. We'll try different versions and different paths out. And if a bit shit, it's shit. You can't point a third, can you? So if it's shit, we'll bing it off. But it might take a couple of weeks to get to that conclusion. You've got to try it and it not work to say that you've tried it. Otherwise, you'll never know, will you? So oh, totally. that aspect that aspect can, can either hinder you or help you. And for the past few years, I think it's hindered us. We've tried to explore every path to its terminus that we really shouldn't have done. You know, we should have just gone, yeah, that shit, let's move on. Um, but yeah, this time around, majority was written by all, but there's, there's certainly, it's a certainly like, I don't know, 60-40 split or 75-25, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do like leaving stuff to all because perfect example, I came up with the main riff for Paralyzed, um, God, 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, I can't remember. Anyway, just just jamming around because I play guitar a bit as well. Just noodling around, blah, blah blah. That's cool. Got it recorded. Put some basic drums to it. Showed it all. And He was like, "Oh, that's really cool. That's cool, but it's just missing something." A couple of weeks later, it comes to me. Is I've reworked that riff. I've done this with it. What do you think? There you go. Paralyzed. First track for the new album. All done. So it's my riff. He's just elaborated on it a bit, but it, it's his keen ear and it's his knowledge of music theory and the workings of. Um, um, song
0: structures you know that kind of thing I, really- I know your fucking game bladdermouth.net Ben writes the opening fucking rift the evil album <laughs> <laughs> it's, the arc is quite interesting from into the grow up to now it seems like you mentioned you were experimenting with certain paths to its terminus to me it was like it, Matt was leaning into what his vocal style could have been a lot more that was one of the big things one of the big things that sort of drove a lot of the songs and yeah. at the same time you mentioned earlier that alls perception was we just need to do a balls our thrash record so it's interesting how the end result is what it is considering that was that journey and now it's kind of it's now we've gone down to a foundational level of balls to the wall
1: i think i think if after eight years we'd have come back with an album full of songs maybe like tomb or mid-paced stuff maybe a bit like cult or head of the demon people wouldn't have got it yeah yeah It it wouldn't have made as much of an impact and the the sheer fucking anger we've got of not doing anything for eight years, the the of it and the like the whole frustration more than anything wouldn't have got out as much as it has done on, on Hell Unleashed. You can hear the you can hear the frustration, you can hear the like petulance in it. You know what I mean? It's it's a really fast, nasty, aggressive album. And we wanted to come back and smack people in the face and make them remember who we are. Yeah, And the only way to do that is to return to the style of playing that made me noticed originally when we did stuff like Armored Assault and Schizophrenia and songs like that. We wanted to come back and go, oh, yeah,
0: we can still fucking smack people in the face if we want. We can still hit you. The advantage that time gives as well is you've got the pick of the litter for live sets now. You can really sort of pace them exactly how you want it. You can take everyone on a massive journey.
1: Yeah, we can, but the, the... Online communities are kind of questioning whether all is going to be capable of the same vocal delivery as Matt. Well, the brothers, you know, they've got the same DNA, they've got the same kind of vocal structure, the same tonal qualities in the voice. The only difference is Matt's been singing for a heck of a lot longer than all. But mm. all is the sort of person who puts his mind to something and he, he excels at it. Yeah. So give it a, give it a few months and you know a couple of years or whatever, all will be. I'll be doing the same kind of thing, and he can sing. So if we do need to get out there and do like In Memoriam or Tomb or something else, he'll be more than
0: capable. It's just all singing, it not Matt. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> as soon as it was it was announced I was, was, oh, was going to sing, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. It, there's no there wasn't any particular mental gymnastics for me. Whose idea was it the to do the Mortician cover? It was old. It was. I mean, I've been a
1: fan of mortician a long time. You know that you know, up for barbecue. <laughs> what an album! You know? it's, it, it, their stuff. It stands stands alone. I, I'd never understood how they got away doing a full album with all those samples and not getting any kind of copyright <laughs> shit going on. Um, but no. But when he said when he said yeah, zombie apocalypse, I was well up for it because I know the groove, I know the track, and it, it's. He's one of my fortes is being able to go blisteringly fast. Mm. albeit not very technically proficient, <laughs> but technically fast. But then and then slamming on the brakes and changing down gears. That's that's what I like doing. This this time it was the other way around. It's you know that awesome bell groove at the start of the track. It's heavy as fuck, and then it's like go. I, I, I love it. So it, and it doesn't sound out of place with the rest of the material.
0: It's in yeah. context. You know. I think we've done. Yeah, man. I mean, um, it's just so, much, it's so diverse, the album as well. There's so many great rhythm bits. There's, loaded, there's a great uh, breakdown in Paralyzed. Um, I think it's Disorder is the song. The intro to Disorder just fucking... It, yeah. it, I can picture playing it on guitar. It's like, this is like really simple but effective, but it's like a team effort. You couldn't do one thing without the other.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, yeah. We all support each other in the riffs. You've got to... Otherwise, it just sounds like a mess. Yeah. Um,
1: and... You know, I always try and work out the fills and stuff around what, what the vocals are going to be doing, around the guitar work, so nothing's ever clashing, notes ever um, in the way of anything else. Yeah, that, that unity of parts makes the weight of it, you know what I mean? It's, it, the, the, it's the sum of its parts, definitely, and I think that's where
0: Evile's always excelled. You and all mention quite a lot, and fairly often, Obituary and Sepultura. We are talking 87 through to, say, 91. What's yep. the appeal of that, that era of that? What I'm presuming is Morrisound and Scott Burns produced records.
1: So for me, um, it's a little bit different to all. I know all absolutely worships the early Sepultura and, like you said, Obituary and stuff like that. For me, I'm very much kind of Bay Area influenced with how I perceive Thrash. Um, but I think those years that you mentioned, like, you know, 86 to like 91, 92, if you look at the bands and how big in stature they were they were world dominating bands you know you, the the like of which we're never going to see again you know that stadium and filling capacity isn't something that exists in a modern era I don't think and whether it's a financial thing or it's not that easy to do because everything's available online now so people don't have the demand to want to see bands in a huge capacity like that um, they don't need to you know what I mean the accessibility online is far more than it's ever been but as a kid when we were growing up you know, you see these guys wheeling for me as a drummer, wheeling out these ridiculous double kick kicks, you know, and then absolutely smashing the place to bits. Dominating. That that was the that was what got me into thrash. The, the velocity and the tempos and just how ridiculous they looked on a massive stage. It was just mind blowing. And then whether whether it was someone who had their eyes on a monopoly of it all at Roadrunner or not, I don't know. I really don't know. But it was like a home to find them all under one roof, wasn't it? You know, it, it, that that was the place. You, you got a recommendation to listen to band A, and it led you to band B, C, and D, who were all on a supporting bill of a tour, all under the same label umbrella. It was it was convenient, and it was all just kind of handed to you on a platter. Yeah. So I think that's, that's maybe where the, the corner of the market, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean the house and the what's are really interesting I, I believe there's a business infrastructure in which Monty Connor who's the AR and r Svengali he just, he just he was just a metal he, if you talk to him now he'd just go I, was, I took it all for granted everything I touched was gold and I don't know why yeah. but I think to me it's just he did the work from 81 to 86 by just being a metal who had a network of people who could just like find bands I think and that now, goes
1: hand in hands with how much coverage and stuff the magazines were willing to give it as well you know it's all, it's all a reciprocal agreement and um Monty's very sharp. You know, he's a very sharp individual and his his ability to spot something before it broke. Yeah. I, I don't think it's ever been matched, really. You know, may, maybe um
0: um maybe like the only exception is Metallica in the early days, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've got like one minute left until you get your next one. Um, oh. any good video games? You play oh. anything.
1: I've been playing loads recently. I've, I've just bought myself a PS5, so um, nice. yes, yeah, I've, just, I've just upgraded my Assassin's Creed Valhalla experience, which looks amazing. Um, although, although I'm so deep into it now, at like 140 hours in, that I'm getting a bit sick of the um, go here, do this, talk to this person, go back where you've come from. You know that. You know what I mean? If, if yeah. I wanted to play a game where I was a DHL delivery driver or something, I've got I've got a different game. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But I'm still firmly rooted in my 16-bit era. I love, I love the retro stuff. Um, I've dusted off my old like Genesis and Mega Drive and Mega CD collection recently and given some of those games a bit of a revisit. Um, I'm, I'm sat in front of my gaming PC and I'm yet to utilise it fully, you know? I've, I built it a couple of years ago mm. and now it's been superseded by
0: graphics cards no one can obtain. Oh, dude, <laughs> I've, I've, I've managed it, uh... Yeah, it's just driving me nuts. Mine's five years old, it's still running the stuff. You're I think you're a man of my own heart. Like you you'd spend fifteen hundred quid on a gaming PC and play games from fifteen years ago. You know what I mean? It's but um yeah. Let I'm, me know when I'm, you put I'm, when I'm you next in terms of games,
1: really. Um I think I'll I'll sit on my hands till Elder Scrolls comes out, you know. But then again, I'm still I'm still modding Skyrim's from like ten years ago.
0: So <laughs> hey man, we should, uh, album launch party, left for dead stream.
1: Yes, we should do it.
0: Let's fucking do it. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> right, dude, I'm going to let you go because you've got another one. But all the best. April 30th, is all kicking off. It
1: indeed, yeah, April 30th, available
0: on, you know, digital download. Final CD, near time. Get the pre-orders. W dick. Yes. All right, peace out, man. Thank you. Have a good one, bud. You YouTube.